As an immigrant, I understand the uniqueness of our challenges. We relocate to Canada for different reasons, but we all share one thing in common. We are looking for a better life. Unfortunately, that's not always the reality. My name is Paul Adeye. I'm on a mission to provide you with the resources that will help you to succeed as an immigrant in Canada. On every episode of the Thriving Immigrant Podcast, we will learn from successful immigrants. Entrepreneurs will be sharing their stories, wins, and challenges so we can all learn from them. We will also touch on important topics such as career, business, finance, and family. Let's get to it. Cheers to a life of abundance. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Thriving Immigrant Podcast. First of all, I'm grateful to God for the opportunity to host you again today. And I've got a remarkable guest on the show. I'm so excited. My guest needs no introduction. Her name is Reni Odetoinbo. Reni, popularly known as Reni the Resource. She's a content creator, marketing consultant, and a finance enthusiast. She's based in Toronto, Canada. I'm sure you probably must have come across one of her posts, either on Instagram, Twitter, or YouTube. If you have any social media presence, you must have come across Reni's post. So there are a lot of amazing things and inspiring things about Reni. I've been following Reni for about three years. I think I started following your LinkedIn before I found her on Instagram. So there's a particular story I love. She bought her first home at the age of 23. And I was like, oh, wow, that's huge. So since then, she decided to start sharing knowledge with others with the goal of helping people to understand adulting. I think I love that. She helps them <laughs> to become more financially literate. And she's sharing tips to help them excel in their careers, from finance to career and lifestyle content. Her aim is to make complex topics simple. And that's why we call her Rene the Resource. Hi, Rene. Thank you so much for joining. Welcome to the Thriving Immigrant Podcast. Hi, Paul. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate the opportunity to be on your podcast. Awesome. First of all, I love your story and I love what you do. I've been seeing your post for the past one, two years, and you've always been like a source of resource, just like your name, Rene the Resource. So... There's something I would like you to first of all talk about. Can you tell us about your immigration journey? Like, were you born in Canada or how did you find yourself in Canada? Yes. So I was not born in Canada. I technically am an immigrant, but I came here when I was four years old. So I am pretty Canadian. My parents are Nigerian and I am Nigerian by heritage, but I've never actually lived in Nigeria. I was born in the United Kingdom and then I moved to Canada when I was just four years old so that's been my immigration journey uh, to Canada so far oh okay that's interesting I didn't even know the part of being born in the United Kingdom so you never lived in Nigeria nope never but we usually went back every few years so um, the past two years I've been back every year so I, I like to go but I've never actually lived in Nigeria okay interesting so I, I, I love the fact that you moved to Canada at the age of four so 
you followed your parent, right? You didn't have that choice to decide where you were going to. So growing up yeah. in Canada as an immigrant, what was your experience like as a kid? What was it like schooling in Canada from that tender age? Yeah, so I feel like moving here, um, I, again, I was very young. It was not my decision. It was just something that happened. Uh, but growing up here, you'll see that most other kids are also children of immigrants. So I feel like you can kind of relate to a lot of people. However, depending on where you live, you may be one of the few people who look like you, right? So I think growing up in Canada, it is a very multicultural place, but I grew up in the greater Toronto area. And I would say that in most of my schools, I was one of a few Black children. Uh, the majority of people were South Asian, East Asian, or white. So it's like, you still feel like you're part of the community because everybody else, you know, everyone just gets along because we all grew up like that. Uh, but I would say it wasn't until I was maybe in university that I really came into my Nigerianness because we started to go to a very Nigerian church when I was in um, high school. And then when I was in university, um, I went to York University and that is like the home of Nigerians in Canada. So I would say that I started to uh, become more Nigerian until then. So it's a, it's an interesting place growing up here because because you may not be very connected to your culture unless your parents are super intentional about surrounding you with your culture. Right. I love that last point. Like parents must be intentional for you to really understand that this is where you are from. There's something very important I love you to talk about because I checked you out on LinkedIn and I saw that you had a very good career. You started well and you had a success. I would say you had a successful career at BMO with ob obviously promising opportunities for promotions. But I think about two or three years ago, yeah, I saw your last post on Instagram talking about how long you've been in entrepreneurship. So what inspired you to just transition into becoming a full-time entrepreneur? Mm, good question. So yes, I was working at the Bank of Montreal and I was working in their wealth management department. And basically what I was doing there was I was a marketing manager and I managed different projects. And I, my goal was to basically attract ultra high net worth clients to bank with the bank. And to do that, I was creating financial literacy content for the bank and posting it on their social media pages. So it's kind of like what I do right now. Oh, but I was doing it for the bank, right? And I always tell people the best way to, you know, have another source of income is to do the exact same thing that you're doing now, but but just to do it for yourself. So that's kind of what I did. I bought my house in 2020. And because I bought the house, a lot of people had questions. So I was like, okay, do you want me to make a YouTube video about this? Do you want me to make an Instagram post? Well, how would you like me to tell you more about buying my house? And a lot of people said, make a YouTube video. So I started my YouTube channel in 2020. And then it just kind of started to grow very quickly at the beginning, especially. And then by the next year, 2021, I was dedicating a lot of time to my full time job. And I felt like it was taking away from me actually pursuing the thing that I actually enjoyed, which was creating this financial literacy content on my Instagram, my Instagram and YouTube. So I was like, okay, I'm going to quit my job and then, you know, give this a chance. It if it works, it works. And if it doesn't, it doesn't. And thankfully it did work. And I'm still doing it two years later till this day. And I'm a full-time entrepreneur, but the transition, like I, it was just mostly, I was really tired from, <laughs> from my full-time job. And I felt like this was a lot more fun and it was, it could be profitable and had the chance to be profitable. 
but I couldn't give it the attention it needed to actually do that because of the, how draining my full-time job was getting at the time. So yeah, that's why I decided to transition. Wow, that was a boot step. I'm sure you had a conversation with your parents, like you were going to quit as a typical African parent. I don't know if your parents are typical African, but how did the conversation go when you mentioned to them that you were going to quit your job for entrepreneurship? So I didn't actually tell them. Oh, <laughs> I, as Canadian as they are, they're still African parents, right? So I knew that they probably wouldn't, they wouldn't be very happy about me quitting my job. So I decided to quit. They knew I was tired. They could tell like sometimes after work, it was more than just tiredness. I was like burnt out. So sometimes I'd be crying. Sometimes I'd be very sad. You know, they could they could see that on me. So they, I think they knew I was looking for other jobs. Uh, but then I just one day I was like, I can't do this anymore. I'm quitting. And I decided to quit my job. Um, and then I told my dad and my dad was like, why? Why did you decide to do that? What do you mean you quit your job? I don't understand. Uh, and then I told him, like, I'm very exhausted from work, blah, blah, blah. And he said, okay. And then we went on a walk, basically. And he told me that you have one year, give your all to it. If it works, then you continue. If it doesn't work, then you go will back. Go back. Yeah. And I was like, okay, cool. One year is enough. And I put my heart and soul into that one year. And now I'm still doing it to this day um yeah and then my dad told my mom for me because i didn't want to i don't want to do that <laughs> i didn't want to tell her wow okay thank you for sharing that so that makes me feel like you are probably closer to your dad so are you daddy's girl <laughs> no i was saying i'm close to both of them but it's just that i knew my dad would react better than my mom would react to the news yeah <laughs> okay okay mm -hmm. right so I'm assuming that you had some emergency funds, like you saved some money because going into entrepreneurship, although being like a content creator, I'm sure it wasn't as capital intensive as maybe other businesses. You just needed to get some tools. But at the same time, you would, did you have any concern about how you were going to pay your bills? Of course, even if you're living with your parents, you probably had some bills like baby girl life. Were you worried? <laughs> Or did you have some good funds saved before moving into entrepreneurship? Yes, I always tell people don't just leap into entrepreneurship with no plan or no money saved because entrepreneurship is very tumultuous. And some months you make a lot of money, some months you may not make so much money. So I was making around like $3,000 a month from my YouTube channel at the time, not just my YouTube, but like all of my social media. So that's why I felt comfortable enough to leave because I was like, okay, $3,000 a month will hold me over. It's not like I'll be doing anything extravagant or anything, but I, it's enough money to like keep me afloat. Uh, and then I also had saved money about thirty thousand uh, dollars as an emergency fund so basically what i did was when i started at the bank i started contributing to the share ownership plan at the bank and because i contributed to it from this day that i started uh, by the time i left about three or three and a half years later it was up thirty thousand dollars of their bank stocks that i had purchased so that really helped me as well and um, that's the money that i was like okay now if i if YouTube stops working, I still have this $30,000 that I can tap into. So, yeah. Wow. So you probably had about 10 months income, not from the bank, but what YouTube was going to give to you, like $33,000. Yeah, I think that was a exactly. smart one. So good job. And now I don't want to ask how much I'm making right now, but I'm sure that must have doubled or tripled. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. Right. So you talked about your work at Bank of Montreal. 
So was that your first exposure to finance? What what was your first impression about money? Like it looks like you know so much about money. Like where <laughs> did someone teach you about money? Did your parents sit you down and explain about money, or was it when you got your BMO job that you got that exposure about money? So my parents started teaching me about money from a very young age, about four years old. Um, my dad's started. Uh, my parents took me to the bank, and I got my first bank account. And like you know, when aunties and uncles come to you and give you some money, my dad would say, "Okay, part of this money has to go into your bank account and to save, and the rest of it, you know, you can do whatever you want with it." So just little things like that they taught me over the years. And then when I turned eighteen, uh, my dad helped me open my first credit card, and uh, usually when you go away to school, because I was living at school, there are lots of credit cards available for you. A lot of my friends open them and then they use them as if it's free money, get into a lot of debt, ruin their credit score by the time they're 19. Uh, but thankfully, my parents had taught me about it way before I even got into university. So I feel like that was another lesson that I learned. And then when I was 18, they also taught me about investing in the stock market. So I started investing at the age of 18 as well. So I feel like all of these things really helped me and shaped my financial literacy. I kind of thought everybody had that upbringing until I grew up. And then I talked to my friends and they were like, no, they had no idea about any of that. Uh, and then I would say in university, I started to take a interest in listening to podcasts. And I came across Clever Girl Finance or Clever Girls Know, uh, which is a podcast by Bala Shukumbi, who is some uh, creator in the U.S., and she was speaking about how she saved $150,000 on her salary of like $50,000. And I was like, how do people do this? Uh, I wasn't making much money then anyways. I was just working my part-time job. It just really opened my mind to the world of budgeting, of saving, of investing. And from there, I've just been like an avid podcast listener. And just like, I always like learning about financial literacy uh, from there. And then obviously, when I was a uh, in university, I started working at the bank. And then when I graduated, I started working there full time. And because I was working there full time, uh, I got exposed to a lot of different like knowledge about financial literacy. Because I was working in the ultra high net worth space as well, I got to see that people have money, money, like, you know, I've heard of, I've heard of small money, but these people have a lot of money and um, uh, they're doing big things. So uh, that really opened my eyes as well. So I feel like I just got so many different lessons from all different places and it really inspired me to just teach people and just put them on the same playing field as I have because my parents taught me, but most of our parents can't teach us. So let me be the one to teach you instead. Wow. Wow. Thank you for sharing that. I love that. So you add early exposure to money management and all that and I think in a way that really made your journey easy so kudos Definitely. to your parents kudos to dad and mom for exposing you to mm -hmm. that at a very early age okay so I'm going back to entrepreneurship now that you've been doing this for three years if you could go back and restart your journey as an entrepreneur are there any strategic changes that you would make or what would you do differently mm, do you think you made question. any mistake I feel like Honestly, the journey has been very good. Uh, so I have I wouldn't say made any mistakes like leave it like the time I left or th big things like that. But I would say one mistake would be like working with specific people who like or not having contracts in place for specific uh, things like little little things like that. For example, I worked with somebody and I paid them upfront, and then you know getting the deliverables <laughs> proved to be very 
very hard uh, because I had paid them before I ever got the work back. So little things like that are the things that I would change about my entrepreneurship. But overall, I feel like the journey has been pretty great and um, it's been going up and up year over year. So I can't really complain about anything else. But I always tell people I went in with like a plan. I was also already making money from it before I went in. I didn't just jump into it like haphazardly. Maybe the only thing I would change would be I would start even earlier than I started, right? Because <laughs> yeah, I, I love being an entrepreneur. Wow. Okay. I see that you, I know you love being an entrepreneur because I see that you travel everywhere. I'm not sure yeah. if you're like Canada right now, but and those are the For perks once of I being, am. Okay. Those are the perks of being a successful entrepreneur. Not every entrepreneur can enjoy that freedom of traveling everywhere. So thank you for sharing that. You made it look like it's been very easy, but I'm sure there are times where you might be demotivated, like things might not be really be working. Of course, you mentioned mm -hmm. that as an entrepreneur, you can't have it linear like every time money keeps coming in so are there times where you feel down and whenever you feel down what keeps you motivated yes I will say that there are times that I feel down um, I think as an entrepreneur it, the difficult part of being an entrepreneur is the fact that everything relies on you especially if you're a solopreneur if you have partners that's one thing but as a solopreneur everything relies on you and if you suddenly decide that you do not feel like working then you do not get paid right <laughs> so um I would say yeah sometimes I definitely do feel down what I've learned to do is just ride the highs that I have so it for example because I create content going and recording a video when you're not feeling in a good mood is very hard and you kind of see it through the camera so instead I try to um, record as much as possible and batch record for example when I'm feeling good so on the days that I have high spirits I'm like okay we're gonna bang out like four videos today and then We'll edit them later and post them later but I actually have to because I'm feeling so good today I'm going to record these so I think that has been very helpful and honestly I think motivation is just very fleeting it's something that comes and goes uh, but discipline is the thing that you can really rely on so if you can build your your discipline then it's like even if I don't feel like it I'm still going to do the tasks that I can do when I'm feeling those down days so Maybe I won't go and record a video on the days that I'm feeling down, but also have the discipline to, you know, do the admin work that may need to be done, send some invoices, things like that. So uh, I think discipline as an entrepreneur is crucial. If you don't have discipline as an entrepreneur, it can be very, very hard unless you have some kind of manager who can help with that. Wow, that's a very powerful one. I love how you put everything together, talking about motivation comes and goes. And I like that because that's being real. Because some people will just feel like I wake up every day, I wake up motivated. Yeah. <laughs> but discipline keeps you going. Thank you so mm -hmm. much for sharing that. That's a very powerful one. So from your perspective, do individuals of diverse ethnic backgrounds, do they encounter any unique challenges in Canada? Because you are a Canadian. But have you found yourself in a situation where you feel like maybe if I wasn't Black... Maybe this wouldn't have happened or maybe this would have happened. Do you think people of color go through some unique challenges in Canada? Yes, I think obviously Canada is a great place to live, but it has its its problems. And I think one of the problems, racism is definitely a problem that people face. I know that like working in some corporate environments, I've heard that like it's kind of like they want to see me prove myself 
before, whereas my white counterpart doesn't have to prove themselves to do the same thing. They have the stereotype about Black people, and then I have to make sure, you kind of have to unlearn, I mean, you have to change their mind before they actually trust you. I think little things like that. In Canada, I don't think I've seen much like blatant racism. It's the small microaggressions that you face in the workplace. Um, people are, for example, always asking you about your hair, trying to touch your hair, things that your white counterparts just don't have to ever face. So I'd say, yes, there are definitely some distinct um, challenges in Canada. And even for a, an immigrant, somebody who's more new than me uh, that's coming into Canada, I think just things like learning the system that is here compared to your home country can be very difficult. For example, here, networking is the way that most of us get our jobs, whereas back home, maybe it's very different for you. Like, I think little things like that can be very difficult. And then things like, okay, in like, the way that you put your name on a resume, right? People may judge you because of that. My my full name is Mareni Keb, but I have Rennie everywhere. It's easier for people to understand. It's not like I deliberately did that um, because nobody calls me Mareni Keb, but it's probably easier for me to get opportunities with my name being Rennie than it is being Mareni Keb. So little things like that, you know, are, are a little troublesome and it's, it's disheartening that we have to see that but yeah and then I also would say like because I grew up here um I can see the difference between me and somebody who is coming as a newcomer um I would say like I'm very outspoken because I from a very young age in Canada at school they kind of teach you to like you know challenge your teacher speak back blah blah but then I saw people who were newcomers to Canada and we're both in the same role at work but like I'm free to like challenge my boss and talk you know but maybe if they grew up in Nigeria for example that's not something you would really consider doing uh, so I would keep getting promoted and promoted and promoted because they love how much I'm like oh you're talking out you're speaking out but then maybe my counterpart they don't feel comfortable doing that because they didn't grow up here. So I think there are definitely challenges that immigrants and newcomers to Canada face. Uh, thankfully, the main one, I don't really face many of them because I grew up here and I understand the system now. But yeah, there are lots of unique challenges that we face. Yeah, thank you so much for mentioning that. And I love the fact that you've been able to identify those cultural differences, despite the fact that you were raised there. And I will mm -hmm. agree with you completely. Like a typical Nigerian, we not look into his boss eyes you, yeah. you, are, you can't you can't just afford to ask your boss just any questions things like that even the way we write emails back in nigeria in the nigerian a typical nigerian organization you is different from the way canadians write it you yes. start with different salutations yes sir yeah. yes, madam and but here yes. they just go straight to hi by first name. In fact, if you want to yeah. use first name for your boss, you have to put dear mister. <laughs> you have to put title. So yeah, that's correct. Mm -hmm. Especially calling people Ma and Sa. Like when I yeah. whenever I see that, I tell them stop. Don't do that. Don't do that. Don't call anyone that because they're gonna be like, that's weird, right? <laughs> so yeah, little things like that. And what you just said now reminded me of my first job in, in Canada. So when I came, my first job was with Rogers. And my manager is Indian by heritage. But I think he, he's been here for some years. So I just continued my Nigerian official cultural way and say, hi, boss. Hi, sir. And the guy just called me and said, he's embarrassed. Why Why do I do that every time? What's <laughs> That they use say sir for maybe police officers and all that. Mm -hmm. I'm like, oh, I see. So just coming by my first name. This is my first name. So that's correct. 
And even my yeah. boys, I see the way they relate with me, the way they relate with my friends. They are so vocal. They are so expressive. Like mm -hmm. growing up in a typical Nigerian home, you <laughs> you don't do that. You you don't yeah. do that. <laughs> I know. Even even uh, I'll be at like a family gathering, speaking my mind. Yeah. And my, my someone will be like, like you know, so you know, in Nigeria, <laughs> but they'd be like, you know, in Nigeria, we, you would be sitting somewhere else. You wouldn't even be in this room. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> yeah, right. so. I think right. very big cultural difference, but it'll help your boys when they get into the workplace because everybody, let the people who get promoted are usually honestly the people who, who speak out the most, who are who are vocal and, and comfortable expressing how they feel about different topics. So they, that's they'll, right. They'll do well. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Once again, thank you for identifying that, even though you are yeah. Canadian. Yeah. So you know what? I actually have an entire YouTube video on like the privileges that I have compared to somebody who's a newcomer to Canada. So I feel like that would be like a, a very good video to because I, I dissected like, yeah, the, the reason I got promoted so much is because I speak out so much and I learned it from my parents because I grew up here and then so I, yeah, I I I dissected it. And I think it's a helpful video, especially oh, for thanks. newcomers, just to know that they shouldn't they, they shouldn't compare their success to somebody who's grown up here their whole life as well, because it's it's just very different. Yeah. Right. I will look for that video. Thanks. Thanks for mentioning that. Mm -hmm. So I'm almost done. I just have like one more question to the end, even though I don't want this to end. So can you remember the best advice that you've ever received, maybe growing up as a kid or so far? Is there any advice that you think is the best advice you've ever received? Uh, I think one of the best pieces of advice that I've received is that perfection is the enemy of progress. And it's because I am somebody who is, well, I used to be like a big perfectionist. And then if there was something that had to be done that I didn't think I could do perfectly, then I wouldn't even attempt it. Or, I, you know, I would be so stifled by the fact that it's not going to be perfect that I wouldn't even attempt it. So my manager told me at BMO, actually, she told me, you don't need to be perfect, just start. And then you iterate and you get better as you go along. And I feel like that has really helped me just to learn like, oh, like I can I can do hard things. I don't really, it doesn't, everything doesn't need to be perfect before it's done. And um, yeah, so I think that is honestly one of the best piece of advice that I've, I've uh, been told. Wow, thank you for sharing that. And I agree, thank you for sharing. And in my case too, I've done a lot of things that I just started randomly and if I was waiting for perfection, I probably would still be waiting. So that's a very exactly. good one. Yeah. Okay. I know you have different services for people that are listening to you for the first time and they would like to contact you. What are your services and how can they contact you? Yeah. So if they would just like to learn about general financial literacy, you can go on my social media platforms. I have a Instagram page, a Twitter page, a YouTube channel, and a TikTok. All the handles are XORENI or Renny the Resource. So you can just search XORENI. And that will teach you about general financial literacy topics from investing to budgeting to saving and mostly focused on Canada. I also do have some topics that relate to Nigeria as well because a big part of my audience is in Nigeria. Then uh, if you would like to go further than that and book a one-on-one -on -one call with me, you can also do that. All the links are in my bio or you can search calendly.com slash and you can book a call with me there. I have one hour sessions that you can book with me to ask me any questions. Some people ask me about content creation and have me look into their content creation journey while other people book me for um, 
like financial literacy talk. So whatever makes most sense for your situation. I also have an accountability group where I help keep people accountable to their financial goals. So right now I have about 120 people in my group and we keep it small. Uh, so next year, 2024, we'll also have about 120 people maximum in the group. And yeah, I keep them accountable to my, their financial goals. There's an annual fee and it will be in December of 2023 that that goes live. And once it is full, we do not let people in until the end of the next year. So um, that's another thing. I bring in experts every single month to talk to you and we talk talk about different topics from your taxes in Canada to um, we do a financial therapy session. We talk to a mortgage broker. There's so many different um, topics that there are for you. And yeah, I think those are most of my services. I also do so, uh, consulting, marketing consulting for small businesses. Uh, so that's another thing that you can inquire by emailing me at contact at rennytheresource.com. And for all of this information, you can also just go on my website, rennytheresource.com, and it will all be there as well. Right. Thank you for sharing. So for you guys that are looking at joining the accountability group, I think this is the best time to start applying so that you can make it for 2024. Thank you yes. so much, Rennie. <laughs> it's been an amazing time with you. Thank you for sharing your story. Thank you for being inspiring. Thank you for everything you are doing for the community. And I look forward to hosting you again and have a yeah. good one. Yes. Thank you for having me. That's it on today's episode of the Thriving Immigrant Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Do me a favor, share this with your friends. Subscribe, please subscribe, share this, and let's build a thriving community together. Thank you and have a wonderful day.